a creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. My name is Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator. This show is where we explore what it takes to build a thriving, well-balanced creative practice. Let's go. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. you are probably painfully aware of just how much you get in your own way. Like it's probably a lot easier for you to see the ways in which you get in your own way than it is to see the ways that you measure up. Maybe it's how you can't seem to find the extroverted energy you need to put yourself out there and network or get on camera and do the kind of stuff you know you need to do to get your work in front of people. Or maybe it's the opposite problem that you have. You don't have the introverted tenacity to spend loads of time alone, sat at your desk, editing those videos or doing the writing or doing the drawing. Maybe it's a habit you can't seem to form or a skill you just can't seem to unlock. Whatever it is, I'm sure you are much more familiar with your pain points than you are your strengths. That's just the kind of negativity bias that we have as people. If you are currently overwhelmed by your inability to become the kind of person you need to be to unlock your creative goals, this episode may help you see how these pain points don't have to be in the way, but can rather point the way to 
who you already are and what that makes possible. I had a conversation recently with a creator whose journey powerfully illustrates this idea. I'm Amy Devers, and um, I am the host of Clever, which is a podcast that um, I like to call it the window into the humanity behind design. So I talk to creatives from all disciplines about their creative journey. I'm also an educator, so I teach at Rhode Island School of Design, where I also got my master's degree, and uh, I'm active in the design community. Amy's journey from furniture design to DIY reality TV host to design podcaster will give you some clues on how to quit beating yourself up and instead start getting down with being yourself and how those parts of yourself that seem like they're in the way can become the way. If you stick to the end of this episode, I'm going to come back with an exercise that can be put to action instantly with the ideas from this episode. It's called the pain points the way and it'll help you identify new possibilities in your practice that don't require you to become anything more than you are right now. You imagining going back to yourself when you were at RISD before you got started, when you had an idea of like, this is kind of what I think I'm doing. Is there anything that you could have said to that version of you that maybe would have made that process more enjoyable or potentially less bumpy. I'm making assumptions that there's bumps in the road, but. Oh, there were total bumps in the road. There were. What could you say to that person? I would say to that person, don't be so hard on yourself. Mm. Because I think I went on with a creative process that was not favorable to me or my sustainability and was overly focused on like high standards and high productivity. And I caused myself creative trauma that I'm not sure I've actually fully recovered from, but it's now Mm. my mission to help my students avoid doing that. Um, I'm very, I am instantly leaning into that because I want to hear more and more about that because I think this is an idea that I've not heard anyone explore directly. And yet Every person I know, especially once you get past 30, Mm -hmm. forget it when you get to 40, every creator I know in that boat has so much creative baggage and it's, it becomes very difficult to navigate. So tell me more about that. Well, I mean, grad school was an incredibly fertile time in terms of, um, I had already done an undergraduate in furniture design and then done a couple of years in uh, working out in the industry. So by the time I went to graduate school, I knew this was what I wanted and I was very focused. And I experienced incredible creative growth over a two-year program, but it was in part by pushing myself to the absolute limit. And pushing myself to the limit, I think is really important because you need to know where the edges are and you also need to push yourself beyond because there's the diminishing returns if you push yourself beyond. So finding where that is, is key. What I didn't do was celebrate the victories or my accomplishments. Think that 
I never gave myself enough credit to say I had done a good enough job that I didn't need to keep pushing myself harder, faster, further. So I went out into the work, into work to start my profession. And now life is coming at you and you need to pay the bills. And I kept at it with this kind of toxic perfectionism um, and a kind of workaholism that at the time I thought was about being exceptional. Then now I realize as I'm unpacking all my childhood trauma and stuff is about, Mm. you know, feeling like I needed to prove something or, you know, fear that I wasn't actually going to make something of myself. And I let that go on to the extent that my sense of self, I think, got a bit kicked around, like Mm. really kind of bruised and kicked around. And my body also. By you or by other people? No, by me, mostly. Mostly I put myself in situations and and exceeded maybe expectations, but for nobody's benefit, including mine, because I just wore myself out doing more than was expected of me, but not for a raise or a promotion or any, you know, anything that really showed up. Do you have like a example that comes to mind? Yeah. For a lot of my work in the TV industry, I would say the real value I brought to those shows was all off camera Mm. and, um, not all off camera, like, but those shows, as you can imagine, there's an incredibly like artificial sense of urgency because they operate on a very strict timeline. And so you have to get this shit done in a really, really fast manner. And you also have to be, um, you know, camera friendly while you're doing it. And so these, the, my first experience with TV was with a great crew and we were traveling all around the country doing home improvement type stuff. And one of the ways that I let everyone know that as a female, I could build my ass off like anybody else could was by outbuilding everyone. Um, One of the ways I let people know that I was not a diva or a prima donna was by, you know, not advocating for my own needs. Um, because I was female, I also had to be in charge of doing my own hair and makeup, which means I lost two hours of sleep that my male counterparts all got. And it was a work hard, play hard. We're all away from home kind of vibe. And in order to bond with everybody on their own terms, I stayed up late drinking like a sailor with the crew, which by the way, was really fun. I'm not, I'm not saying there wasn't camaraderie there, but like my body was breaking down And then I realized I was also doing all of the emotional labor on set. Um, I was the the homeowners who are not comfortable being on camera or comfortable with having a crew in their home and traipsing all over and then even taking their home apart and putting it back together. I was doing a lot of emotional labor, getting them comfortable, helping them understand the process, you know, so that when they were on camera, we could have an actual rapport. And um, I just spent myself empty every single day without recognizing a need to restore that. I thought maybe it was a never-ending well, and it's not. I, I understand that firsthand. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it, it, it's interesting because if you 
compare that description to what it sounds like to listen to your podcast, there is a clear difference for me in terms of how it seems you're approaching it. Like I could imagine, you know, this idea of, you said artificial, you know, deadline kind of speed, whatever. And I imagine also when you're working in the reality TV, it's funny. I feel like reality TV in my mind is associated with fakeness. Like, yeah. just like <laughs> yeah. that's such a it's, weird thing, it's right? So, like, it's such a distorted reality. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, you have to know, like, yeah, everybody knows that in order for this to become a product at the end of the day, there's going to have to be a lot of direction. There's going to have to be, you know, probably the schedules are tight. There's just a lot of things that need to happen to make this a show. And, um, you know, and I think about you comparing yourself then, you know, busting your ass, trying to effort and outdo and and live up to whatever these misconceptions or prejudgments might be. It seems like a lot of kind of clawing and I get it. I mean, I absolutely struggle with all of that still. Um, I mean, it's funny you say that. I think of so much of my early, well, so much of my creative journey is kind of clinging to the side of a cliff. Yeah. yeah. Like clawing my way up, relishing any sort of plateau I might get to and get get to catch my breath, but then you got to continue the climb. Yeah. And I think probably almost every creator can relate to that because that it's difficult to have a creative practice in any sort of fashion. So, but having that, and then I'm thinking about what it must've been like and being on camera and, and doing all of that, uh, versus when I listen to your show, the thing that hits me instantly is your ability to be present and thoughtful. I think some some people are ultra planned with an interview as, as an interviewer. Some people are ultra unplanned where it's like, oh, I'm just chilling, I'm in the moment, who knows what's gonna happen. And the thing that I think is a testament to your interviewing skills is you feel in the present, in the truer sense of uh, having kind of making it up as you go, as well as pulling in plans, pulling in what you know. It just feels like a very live and on sort of energy that doesn't feel like efforting, like you described, but it sounds like being, you know? Thank you for saying that. I really, really appreciate it. I think one of the things that I learned that I took from that whole TV experience was that um, I really... I really enjoyed the part that was genuine connection. Not sometimes that happened on camera, but mostly it didn't. It was off camera. And I I've thought like how how can I create that genuine connection while also I don't know. You got to make the other person comfortable. So, I mean, one of the things that I do is I research them pretty deeply and I do draft some questions so that I can help them feel that there's a little bit of reins on the yeah. situation and it's not just like willy-nilly because that yeah. makes people uncomfortable. True. And then I deliberately guide them back to a place when they didn't have 
an ego and they didn't have any power and I get them to remember their childhood and that builds trust and once we've got the trust established then I think we all really relax into it and then I allow it to go where it goes because I don't want to assume that my questions are going to get at the heart of what this person has to say. I need to let that come out. I feel like being creative is such a match with yourself of how it's it's the self-knowledge of what works for you, but it's also just like, it's like playing chess with your mind state of totally. how do you get yourself there? It's totally. it's a hard, it's it, yeah, and you can learn stuff over time, but yeah. Um, it's yeah, get, and getting out of your own way is something I'm still, because it changes as you grow. Like you're constantly outsmarting yourself to get out of your own way. But then the part of you that gets in the way is also getting smarter. So you're like, true. <laughs> it is. And it's, and get, and I want to circle back real quick. Cause I actually think, uh, this is a really juicy, um, bit that I want to spend more time on. I think when you said like, Oh, the part of you in the way gets smarter. I actually, I think that's really, really true. And I think it has something to do with, the creative trauma thing that you said and the baggage thing is that when you've got hurt on the creative journey, your subconscious, the part of you that's trying to protect you is literally developing defenses. Yes. It's literally getting better at stopping you from making yourself vulnerable, which is create yes. the creative space. Oh my God. I, you're absolutely right. And I just had this sort of, it's at that point, I don't think it's really about outsmarting that part of you. It's about mm. now you have to go back to like nurturing the inner child. Yes. <sighs> Absolutely. We can right. only remember that when we're in the fight, when, we're, when our <laughs> boxing gloves uh, are on. <laughs> that I love that you said that, that that's a, that's an ongoing theme for me. I am really obsessed with the symbolism of the two headed monster and the, and the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde of, you know, try, I've explored this, um, a, a few times on the show and I, I put it in a lot of my work, like the idea of like, um, quit fighting yourself. Like you, you there's a part you're, you trying to outsmart that thing even is yeah. a defensive stance. It is. It's a defensive stance and it's leaning into the struggle and we all do it. But it is kind of counterintuitive to say if I stop and am just exceptionally kind to myself and if I address the part of me that's afraid with kindness and compassion, maybe that's a smoother way forward. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm going to try that. I don't, I don't, I need... <laughs> Let me know how it goes. I'm, st- I'm still working on it, too. So I designed this podcast and, um, you know, there's a, there's a format to it. I don't, I adhere to it like, like it's rigid, but that format has also allowed me to do a sort of de facto qualitative research with all of these because I take them through their creative journey. I can see, I can zoom out and see patterns 
and yeah. I can zoom into the specificity. And I honestly think that's where the crazy richness is. It's both in the zooming out to see the patterns and in zooming in to see the specificity. What are the patterns that you see throughout the creative journeys of all these different people that you've talked to? Well, the general pattern is nobody gets into it and sticks it out because they are, think they're going to get famous or wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, it might have some glamour in some places, but it's just it weeds people out too fast um, because it's rigorous. Right. There's both rigor and a kind of doing the dance with yourself that you need to learn and then you have to go take that out into a society that's not doesn't want to hear your new ideas because yeah. nobody likes change. <laughs> very, very true. And what do you think, pe what keeps people, the people that you've talked to that have stuck it out and keep coming back to it, what is bringing them back if it's not the glory of where this could take them? They see a way something could be better and they're compelled to get there in whatever way that is, right? For Brian Chesky and Airbnb, like it's, it's in part, it's to address the loneliness epidemic. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Right? I hadn't really thought about it through that lens, but that totally makes sense. For so that, many people in product design, it's about this can be, this doesn't need to be this way. This can be done a lot better. For other people who are civic and service designers, it's like, why are we wasting so much energy and people who need to be served are not being served? And so when you kind of can see how it can be better and you have enough like background to know, like, if we move this around, if we talk to these people, if we communicate in this way, and we, you know, we can we can make it better. You you kind of can't sit still at that point. Like you kind of have to. Yeah, it's such man. a human need and I think it's baked into society for some people to actually move towards the edges and expand. Your story of almost like stumbling into creativity because it was the yeah. most tolerable thing for you and everything <laughs> else felt like jail, right? And yeah, so you're like, how so am I going to make this thing that I can tolerate and I'm kind of good at? How am I going to make that into a career? Oh, okay. Um, so a lot of people start that way. And in the course of it, they go through this mastery, this quest for mastery and accomplishment. And I think, you know, this is the 20s. This is most everybody in whatever field they're in, the 20s and 30s. They need to f find their mastery, which is also, I think in the heroine's journey, it would be less about mastery and it would be more mm. about agency. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's the shift. We go from, from mastery. Now we have this like specialization, let's say, as you shift into heroine's journey, you start to transfer those skills out to other things and become a little bit more of a generalist, deploying your agency where it's needed. Not only does that sound good, <laughs> I know that's true. And it's and I, that's been kind of the practice I've been trying to to do is when I'm feeling tired and fed up, which I think we're all feeling that quite yeah. often these <laughs> days. Um, I, tr I really genuinely try to put myself back into the last time something I'm doing had an impact on a person or something I, or meeting somebody who had a need that emotionally moved me 
to want to create the work or do the thing and try to feel those feelings because every time I tap back into that, I'm like, oh, okay, I remember why I'm doing this. Yes. Because I don't want to do it for me anymore. We started out with you telling yourself as a, as a college person um, to try to remember the words you use, but don't be, don't so, be so hard. hard on on, yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. Um, how does that resonate coming from future you to now? What are the ways that maybe you could act on that today? Because I think as soon as you said it, I'm like, hmm, damn, I, I feel that. It's, it's, um, that's an interesting question. You kind of stirred up some emotion in me mm. because in all the creative trauma that I talked about, I'm the one who inflicted it on myself. Because mm. I didn't value it the way I'm trying to teach people to value it. I didn't see it in myself as my ultimate power. I almost found it worried that it might be a liability. And by the way, I, I cry frequently. This is totally normal. <laughs> um, I'm Please, emotion. I, I'm, a, I'm such a emotion huge flows fan through of me like crying. a very easy I, I'm, a, I'm a big, big crier okay. cried yesterday. I love it. I, I actually uh, call myself uh, the opposite of a stand-up comic with a lay down tragic because yeah. Yeah. I'm going for tears. I want like, that's my, I love it. So I'm just glad we're in a space that feels meaningful, but it does feel meaningful. So thank you for asking me that question and making me think about it in that way. Because I think in a society that doesn't necessarily value it and there's no like I didn't know how to value myself. I didn't know how much to charge. And the TV industry was bananas in the way that that operates because, you know, you're, you don't get promotions. You don't get moved up on, on merit. It's you get cast in a show and then all the people try to argue for how worthless you are so they can pay you less. Yeah. When I look back at my younger self and I think, oh, these are the ways I was spinning my wheels. These were the things I was really pushing on and grinding that even at the time I had a sense of like, this isn't helping. This is not meaningful. What are you doing? What do you, th are there any ways in which that advice applies to what you're doing right now? To what I'm doing right now? Yeah. Just like if the future you came back and was like, Hey, don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Like you could phone this bit in. It wouldn't make a difference except for the difference that it would make on your mental health and the amount right. of sleep that you get and whatever. Well, I mean, similar to you, I think I went through a whole chapter where I was arguing with who I am and, ha you know, and trying to be different. And you saw mm. just now I had a little like some emotion broke through and I've always been. I mean, I know myself now to be an empath, but as a yeah. child, I just felt everything that everybody in the room was feeling. But mm. I didn't know how to interpret it. I didn't know what it meant. So it meant that I was um, called too sensitive all the time. So the implication with you're too sensitive is that you can fix it. And I thought I needed to fix it by proving how tough I am. 
So I learned to build furniture. I got into construction. I worked my ass off. I could do, I could out construct with the construction workers and I could out precise the precision people and I could work longer and harder and I could do it better. And in the whole time, I'm not honoring my own ecosystem, my own nature. I'm not honoring the fact that I'm feeling everybody's feelings while I'm doing this. At the end of it, what I got out of this is a very clear understanding that I'm a total badass. That yeah, a part I proved. Definitely. But being tough <laughs> is not like on the other end of the dial from being sensitive. Neither one of them are on a dial. Maybe toughness if you because that's something you can sort of work at and and become sort of build your endurance, you know. Mm. But sensitivity isn't something I can dial up and down. It's just something I can learn to work with with myself. And something I can learn to value. So instead of trying to run from that, that's that's one of the reasons I do this podcast. I was like, what do I have? I have this sensitivity to humans. Like, why don't I bring that to what I'm doing? That is, uh, that's really powerful. And it's definitely um, making me reflect. It's, it kind of feels like, I thought of like a sponge trying to be a cinder block, like this idea of like, no, like being a sponge is cool. You can do all kinds of things, like just soak it up. And what, 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 how does that help? And what does that do? And you can be tough on grease. I don't know. I lost the, (laughs) I lost the thread. There's no analogy there, but, um, I love that. That that's really, that's really great. I think it leaves everybody with something to also reflect on is the, what, you know, the ways you're being tough on yourself too to change who you are on a fundamental level. I think that's always a waste. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, you're, you're, we're, you're wasting a raw material that could be used in a different way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I always think of is um, because I'm attuned to machines and machinery, I always think of like, you can hear when the motor is struggling, you can mm. hear when it doesn't have enough lube or when it's overheating And it's like that. Like, why was I running my machine in such an abusive way instead of just, you know, when you when you understand the finesse of a tool, it can work beautifully and you can do amazing things with it. But you have to work with it, not against it. I love that uh, image because I think I think I grew up, um, you know, ADHD people are known for being. Uh, too sensitive and also, you know, have a type of sensitivity dysphoria. And um, I grew up in a, in a, in a place where definitely like feelings are the enemy, like letting, like letting them inform you, like that's one degree away from controlling you. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and so I think I've been really good at tuning out those problems in, in the engine and it's like, you know, when I first was getting started and I'm driving my car and I know I don't have any money to fix anything, I'm going to not try to hear any clanking and clanking in the engine. I was like, nope, what? What's that? Nothing. I don't hear anything. Like, that's that's how I was driving. And I think um, even now, my wife, who's deeply sensitive um, creator, like she will, she's so in tune with the noises that the engines are making literally. So if we're driving, she's like, I heard what's that? Why I heard something. And I'm like, 
But uh, nope, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. hear about it. I want to deal with it. But yeah, you're right. I think that gets at that thing of, you know, when your engine's overworking and there's a, there's a, there's a sound that doesn't, doesn't seem right. And giving yeah. space to that is actually a superpower. Yeah, I agree. So I guess if I'm coming back to tell myself, don't be so hard on yourself, the, 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 the technique to deploy in not being so hard on yourself is honor the system, honor the machine you're working with and learn to actually use that in the way it was meant to be used instead of forcing it to do things it wasn't meant to do. All right, I'm back. Now it's time for your creative call to adventure, your call to action, how to put some of these ideas into your creative practice right now. This is called the pain points the way. Let me explain what it is and how it works. So at the same time, Amy was trying to do everything she could to show how tough she could be and how strong she was and how much she could build everything else everyone else was doing on camera. She was learning how natural it was to be soft and present with people off camera and how that unlocked her next creative path into podcasting. This mirrors experiences that I've had in my own creative journey. I spent a lot of time early in my career trying to make illustration for advertising for adults and I was constantly getting this feedback that my work was too appealing to kids. Only realized later that having work, having illustration that really appeals to kids isn't a flaw when you apply it and channel it in a different way, it becomes the way to make work for picture books. So here's your creative call to adventure for this episode. It's called The Pain Points the Way. If you're like me, you're usually trying to tune out all the painful parts of your life and practice. When your engine starts making a noise, it's tempting to turn the radio up and just tune that stuff out. But if you will tune into that alarming sound, if you'll tune into the complaints you get, the pain points, the issues, and you put them under a microscope, they might quit being the thing in the way and start being the way to what you need to do next. So pause for a moment. Allow yourself to tune into what those pain points are in your current practice. Allow them to point the way to something new, to something different. The pain points you're experiencing right now might be actual body pain. Like for me recently, my elbows were hurting because I'm just sitting too long at my desk. And instead of ignoring that, if I tune into it, it can show me that, hey, I actually live in a time where it's easy to do voice to text in emails. So I could go on a walk while I catch up on emails. And tuning into that elbow pain didn't just unlock me being able to catch up with emails. It also unlocked my need for exercise. And that wouldn't happen if I just tried to push myself, if I just tried to be harder on myself. So after you identify some of those pain points, flip them around and see what being the opposite could unlock. Instead of thinking of what you're not doing right, look at what you're being and how that could unlock something else. Maybe like Amy, 
you'll see that being too hard on yourself isn't allowing your strength of softness to do its work. Or maybe instead of tuning out that feedback that says, hey, you can't make stuff that's for adults, you tune into it and see it's an opportunity to make stuff for kids, like I did. Whatever your pain points are, whatever you're experiencing, whatever that pain is, it's most likely pointing to something that needs your attention. And if you'll quit trying to tune it out and instead tune into it, it might help you stop doing the things that are getting in your way and instead be the way that allows for new possibilities to arise. Creative Pep Talk is your weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling picture bookmaker and illustrator for clients like Xbox and Apple. I pep talk teams at creative hubs like Warby Parker and Sesame Street, and I make this podcast because for me, it takes a whole lot of creativity just to get out of bed in the morning sometimes, let alone attempt to create a thriving creative practice. This show is just me sharing the things that seem to be helping in case they help anybody else. Shout out to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and soundtrack. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pinning Beautiful for the sound design and editing the show. Massive thanks to Katie Chandler and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds. And thanks to you for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.